Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but every person has a story, purpose, and legacy. And my guest this morning is a guy, if you have a story, you're going to want to get connected with him. If you feel like, hey, I, I, I want to be able to tell my story and get my purpose out there, share my legacy, which all those things are very important to me, I would highly encourage you, I would intentionally encourage you to connect with this man on LinkedIn. You can find him on LinkedIn at Bobby, B-O-B-B-Y, Umar, U-M-A-R. He is a keynote speaker, a virtual trainer, and coach, and an expert in thought leadership. And we're going to get a lot of his thoughts this morning, but you can find him right here, right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Bobby, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am well. I am well. It, it is so good to have you this morning. I love the shirt. If you're watching on YouTube, Bobby has a shirt that says Conquer COVID-19. So let's start there. I've been starting there about every podcast for, for a good while now because, Bobby, I want to get perspective. My perspective on COVID-19 is, is different than what a lot of people's are. You're in the Toronto area. And in fact, before we started recording, if you'll notice on, if you're watching on YouTube, Bobby's shirt is sponsored by the Toronto Raptors because it has the Raptors symbol for the for the O in Conquer. So yeah, it has the it has the Toronto Raptors symbol. And so, Bobby, take me through the last twenty one months or so for you. Some of the things that you've gone through. What's the biggest lesson you've learned from COVID nineteen that you'll take out of the experience once the pandemic is over with? Wow, that I mean, that's a long story in itself. But uh, you know, if so, I mean, uh, let me just share what happened. So when it first came down, I, I remember I remember this very specifically because, um, you know, you heard about you heard about the COVID and the spread, and then I remember the the big thing that blew my mind was I think Wednesday or Thursday when the NBA shut down. I was like, whoa, like that's like a professional professional league that's going to lose millions of dollars is shutting down completely. That, that was like, wow, okay, that's a big deal. And I remember that Friday, uh, my son had a sleepover party plan for the March break for, for school. And uh, we, we went with it, but we were like, oh, gee. And the next day, all the parents who came by, we almost, everyone was talking about it. What are we doing? And probably within uh, about two days, by that Sunday, we shut down. We're shutting down. That's it. And we're going to stay home. And and so <clears throat> then, you know, we're trying to take care of the kids. At the meanwhile, I was to take care of my two businesses and, my, you know, my wife working her. And she had a new job that she started in January, so she's, you know, scrambling. And then I remember when Easter showed up, I realized that I'd been working 27 days in a row straight without a break because I, it was work. I was working weekends. I was just trying to keep up with everything that was going on. And I decided to take a break. Well, we only need, we need a break. So for four days, we just did nothing but... You know, go outside, go for walks, play board games, watch movies, hang with the kids and whatever. And then after, and then I did a kind of a lay of the land. And one of the things I found out was that my entire speaking and training circuit from March to October was gone, vanished. In fact, 90% of people just canceled outright. There was no like reschedule or anything like that because people didn't know what they're going to do. And that was a huge, that was a huge part of my business. My business was devastated as a speaker. And then, uh, and then my other my other event business, which was DYPB Discovery Personal Brand, you know, we had a really successful live event in February, and then we were like, okay, well, let's go virtual, and we tried one in May, but again, just didn't go well. People, you know, weren't really into it, and yeah. particularly were paying for those events, and then everyone left, and that business also got devastated. And so, I spent um, I spent most of 2020 booking Zoom calls. I did about 300 calls with people. Try to understand what they're doing, checking in, how's everyone feeling, you know. And it was a very, it was a very powerful journey to hear what people are doing. I mean, for me, I'm not making any money too, so like that's also something I'm struggling with. Right. Um, I was okay with the uncertainty aspect because, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you deal with that anyway. So it was hard, it was harder in the first year for my my wife than it was for me. 
Um, but after doing those calls, a couple of themes emerged. One was that storytelling was something that everybody wanted to get better at. I noticed that a lot of people wanted to do better storytelling with their teams when they're having virtual meetings. They also wanted to encourage, there was also a lot of DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion stuff going on at that time. And people wanted to encourage stories to create more inclusivity and belonging. And so that was something that was going on. And then a lot of people also wanted to do better stories with their websites or with their LinkedIn profiles or on their about sections. And so I started running some small workshops on how to build a three to four minute personal brand and life story of who you are and what you're about, similar to what I have on my website. And so that was kind of one pivot I started doing in, in terms of coaching. And then the second one that came up was thought leadership branding. People really want to get better at, particularly with digital and the hybrid model, to reach out to people and leverage storytelling, building meaningful relationships, content creation. They want to put more content out there. They want to do their blogs. They wanted to pivot or transition from their career. They wanted to ramp up their career, their business, and they wanted to leverage LinkedIn. And so Thought Leadership Branding became a big piece of which storytelling was part of that. And so I started running these five day Thought Leadership Branding programs. Bobby, I, I love what you people. said there. I got to jump in there. Sure, I, I sure. love what you said there about deliberate storytelling because it, yeah. it really fits with what we're talking about this morning mm -hmm. about being intentional because you know, if, if you look at how people respond to different things, you and I could have the same experience, exactly the same experience. And I can tell the story of the experience one way. From my point of view, you could tell the, the story of the experience a different way from your point of view. The details are a lot the same. The details are the same, whether you're telling the story or I'm telling the story. It's the perspective. When you think about, you, you said you did over 300 Zoom calls. That's incredible. I thought I did a lot of Zoom calls recording the Intentional Encourager podcast. I didn't do 300 Zoom calls, although it felt like it at times. But when you think about deliberate storytelling, what was the one thing that you had to get in the minds of the people that you were coaching that they weren't thinking about. And because the, the reason I say that, Bobby, is a lot of people might say, okay, deliberate storytelling. So what you're saying is you have to slow down and, and, and it's not that. But what was the one takeaway that you kept hearing from a lot of people going, I hear what you're saying about deliberate storytelling, Bobby, but I don't know that that's me. Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of things that come to my mind. So one is the idea that most people don't know how to storytell or storytell the right way because they don't have <clears throat> they don't have clarity on their target audience. They don't have clarity on their personal brand. They don't have clarity on their objective or why they're doing it. And so I think that becomes a bit of an issue. So, you know, you want to be able to tell stories that's more deliberate to serve the target audience that you're trying to help. And then the other piece is, you know, people struggle with what to say and how to say it. And so there's always a confidence mindset issue that comes into play. So typically, you know, we'll, again, I, I go back to the, I go back to personal branding because once you have clarity on your brand and you know your target audience and how they feel, particularly their pain points, mm -hmm. you can then just create a reframe where you're just trying to provide value, provide service to help those people that are struggling with that type of stuff. And so that's kind of what I would do. And, 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 and in those, <clears throat> in those workshops and those coaching pieces, that's really what we focus on to help them really clarify their brand, get clear on their target audience and their objective, and then help them come up with a story that really makes sense for them. And it's very purposeful and is very directional. You know, it's funny you say that because I, I think a lot of people will say, well, I do this or I do that, or I'm known for this. I'm known for that. And you know, there, there may be some small business owners listening to us today talk, and there may be some some entrepreneurs and things like that that say, well, I know what we do really well. And it's great to know what you really do, but you've got to be sure that other people know what you do really well. When you look at personal branding, I want to go here for a second. And I'm glad you kind of took us in that direction. When you think about personal branding, What's the one thing that most people miss about personal branding? They think that they've got this figured out. Well, you know, I'm the best bakery in my town. But that's great. But do, you know, 
you may feel that way about your own brand, but how do other people feel about it? What's the one thing most people miss about personal branding that should be top of mind to those folks? Yeah, and this is something I talk about a lot, that they miss the discovery process of personal branding. So personal brand is broken into three areas, discovering your brand and diving deep into the, your self-assessment analysis, feedback, and things like that. There's design your personal brand, which is like, you know, uh, putting together the, the uh, target audience, the market, the assets, materials, designing, planning, strategizing, tactics. And then there's a delivery of your brand out there in the marketplace. So most of us are in the design phase. We're always planning, strategizing, putting the tasks together, putting together our marketing materials. And it's based on what we believe, or it's based on maybe what a couple of people have told us, uh, or maybe we're working with an agency. And so what happens is that ends up being, you know, 45, 55, 65% aligned to what it really is, because it is uh, very much based on how people perceive you. And so people do that and they put it out there in the marketplace and then it doesn't do so well. But the big takeaway is that 90% of people don't do the deep dive work, the discovery piece, which is diving into your values, your traits, your interests, your skills, your passions, the stories of your life, doing feedback mechanisms from people in your entire audience who will give you uh, insight into how they feel about you, how they experience you, what they think of you. And then from that insight, as well as online and online assessment, you can then come up with something that's far more aligned and far more impactful. But again, 90% of people don't do that work. But if you can do that work, that's when the design of the brand and the delivery of the brand have far more impact. But again, that to me is the big insight. Most people don't do that work because they don't, and they're based on just what a, what a couple of people said. But when you've done it with, you know, 30, 40 people in a huge market and a huge analysis, that 20, 40 hours of deep dive analysis will lead to uh, incredible results afterwards. Yeah. And, and let's, I want to go here for a second because I love what you said there about discovery and, and really doing a deep dive. So I want to go back to your shirt for a minute. So you were talking about, and I'm a, I'm an NBA, I'm a, I'm a basketball fan. I like the college game a little more than I like the, the pro game. But my son came to me last year. You mentioned, you mentioned when the NBA shut down, my son came to me and he said, dad, Rudy Gobert for defensive player of all time. I said, what do you mean? I, he, he said, dad, Rudy Gobert is the only guy in NBA history that shut an entire league down because Rudy Gobert was the guy from the Utah Jazz that tested positive. The first, he was the first one. And then they started shutting everything down. And, and he said, Dad, I knew Rudy Gobert was a great defensive player. I didn't realize he was that good to shut a whole league down. But, but you mentioned that. And, and I refer back to your, your Raptor shirt. When you talk about branding, Professional sports teams are so protective of their brand and their their brand identity. You know, I'll, I'll share an example with you. We even in even in in American college games. So we have a school about 35, 40 minutes away, Wayne High School. They have for years they had a W on their helmet. The University of Wisconsin sent them a letter and said, "We understand." that you wear a W on your helmet, it's very similar. And there was another school in our area that wore that same W and they got the same letter from the University of Wisconsin saying that your logo is too similar to our trademark logo. We understand you're a high school, but we're gonna protect a trademark logo that we have. I couldn't just use that Toronto Raptors paw print. If I wanted to use that, if I wanted to change the O in Intentional Encourager, if I happen to be a, a big-time Toronto Raptors fan, I couldn't just use that because the Raptors did, did all kinds of discovery and finding out what resonated with their fan base and, and all these different things to come up with their, their primary, secondary, and alternate logos. So I love what you said there. If an NBA team will go that far, if professional sports teams and college sports teams will go that far to understand the power of their brand, what keeps businesses from doing the same thing? Is it effort? Is it is that that deep dive that you mentioned? You mentioned 90% of people don't want to do the work to do that deep dive. In your experience, is that what it is that what causes people not to go as far and wide with their own brand as they need to? I think the, the main thing is that everybody's hustling for business. They want to build, they want to grow, they want to do it quickly. So 
you know, there's often an urgency <clears throat> around around doing that. And so they're, that's why they're always strategizing and planning and doing the tactics. And, and I think that oftentimes people don't do the research or they don't do the, the analysis because they're, they're trying so hard. They're working on projects, they're playing this, they're playing that, they're doing all these different things. And so it's hard to take a step back and say, well, let me do, you know, deep dive work. Same, same with, uh, you know, when you look at other corporations where, you know, they're, 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 they're building, they're growing, and then do they do enough training development of their people? Usually not. Do they do enough surveys to understand the culture of the organization? Probably not. You know, all the stuff about self-analysis, self-awareness, and deep dive type stuff that's going to benefit employees, it's going to benefit their brand, it's going to benefit, uh, you know, all the different people. You know, it's, people don't do that. Uh, you know, and for me, for example, as someone who is uh, struggling with, with like my weight loss and things like that and diabetes, you know, um, do I do, I mean, I do a lot of reflection and deep dive work on myself to understand my motivations and what's going on when, when, when I binge eat and whatnot, but most people don't. Most people are just trying to lose weight. Most people are just trying to, you know, uh, deal with this stuff. And so they don't do the inner, inner work, but we now know, and that's actually one of the biggest learnings from the pandemic, which I was kind of getting to in my story, which was what I found is that the whole mental wellness and that inner work is probably the most important thing that we've learned from this entire situation, because we've been dealing with uncertainty on multiple levels. We've been dealing with overwhelm on multiple levels. And that leads again to a lot of mental challenges, mental wellness and mental well-being. And so now, you know, individuals and organizations are taking their wellness into consideration. Individuals say, you know what? I don't want to commute anymore. I don't want, I don't want to go to work all the time. Mm -hmm. I want to do what's best for me and my family. Uh, corporations are, are realizing, you know what? The employees are having issues with this and they need to, they need to check in and things like that. So it's becoming a, a really big issue. And I think if, if anything, the one benefit from this entire thing that we've had to deal with is the fact that we are now taking these things <clears throat> far more into consideration to doing what's best for us in terms of mental well-being for ourselves, for our kids, for our friends, and for our employees. And I think that's a that that's a really powerful shift that wasn't there before. I love that. That is so good. The 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 power of self-reflection. And we'll get into your weight loss story here in just a little bit. I want to I want to save that part of the conversation because I'm fascinated by that. I I had weight loss surgery almost 14 years ago. I was a type two diabetic and I understand weight loss. I understand that very well. I want to, I want to park that discussion for you in a little bit. When we come back, I want to talk to Bobby about legacy. That's something that is really important to me. And a lot of you out there that may be listening, it's probably important to you too, especially if you're an entrepreneur. How do I pass my business on to my kids? How do I how do I set my family up for generations to come? We're going to talk about the power of legacy and how to incorporate that into your messaging. My guest, Bobby Umar, joins me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Come back with us here in just a moment. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Bobby, before the break, we were talking about legacy. And I love it because in my podcast studio, literally within an arm's reach away from me, is a picture of my late father. And I wrote about it in People Buy From People, the influence of my dad. And, and it was important to me to write that book because I wanted to carry on my dad's legacy. My dad was 59 when he passed away. 
And so I felt like he had a lot more living to do. It was just his time to go. And I wanted to carry on some principles and legacies that, that he had left to me. In, in business, how important is the communication of legacy to your customers, especially if you're a family-owned business or you were talking about that personal brand? But I don't know that in business we really think about the power of legacy. How important is, is it for businesses to continue to think about legacy long-term in their personal branding? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's very important. I mean, if you understand that every single person has a story, purpose, and legacy, then one of the things you can do is revisit what you think that legacy should be or could be. And so, you know, most of us, you know, young people think can think maybe you know two, five, sometimes ten years ahead. Older folks might be thinking you know ten, fifteen years ahead, but most of us don't think thirty, forty, fifty years ahead. And if you could actually you know talk to your eighty-five-year-old self sitting on a porch and reflecting on the life that you had, you know, what would you want it to be? If you look at the article, the, the top five regrets of uh, the dying, what are the things that they really care about? And the two themes that emerge is, I wish I spent more time with the people that mattered most to me, or I wish I spent more time exploring and understanding the grand diversity of this earth. And Bobby, in my two- family, if you make it to 85, you're like a walking miracle. You know, people <clears throat> people kind of deify you and, and things like that. Because my family history, on the Sexton side of the family, the, the guys just don't live long lives. My oldest uncle was 88, and we were all like, how do we tap into those genes? You know, how do we, how do we get to be that long? And, and I'm just sitting here thinking I'm going to be 50 next year. I'm thinking to myself, if I make it to 85... Am I just going to be a burden on my family just because, you know, am I just going to say, I demand you to come and see me in the nursing home just because, but no, I, I love that. And, and, you know, it's funny. And, 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 and actually, yeah, that, go that, ahead. That, that, and that brings the point, you know, when you look back, um, do you want to be in a home? Do you want to have to beg people to visit you? Right. That, that's something to think about, but also, did you spend 50 years helping Corporation A make you know $5 billion or $100 million? Or did you actually create something that is uh, going to last beyond you? You know, your greatest legacy for me, for me, the greatest legacy is my children, right? You know, what they do. If I can help them to become global productive citizens of the world, <clears throat> that would be amazing. And they're happy, fulfilled, and they're also helping impact other people. So these are things that we have to think about because most of us don't think of that. You reverse engineer that. And then start to say, well, how can I create a path that's more purposeful, more fulfilling, more joyful, more impactful, yeah. that will have that legacy that I want when when I do when I am old or when I do pass away. And people don't think about those things, and they should, because if they did, they would probably 80% would stop doing what we're doing right now and want to do something completely different. Oh, I agree with you. And it but and I'll go to the, you know, it, and I'll be very transparent here. When my dad passed away, my son was 12. He's now 21. So it was nine years ago. It was, as we record this, my dad's passing was nine years ago this past Monday. I got very intentional about making sure, and I would tell my son, I'm like, look, I'm going to tell you this because I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And, And I just did that for a couple of years because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I know how my health is, but I, I'm none of us are promised tomorrow. So I was really hyper-focused on legacy. And then my son came to me one day and he said, Dad, you're freaking me out. He was probably 15 or 16. He said, you're, you're freaking me out. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you're freaking me out because you're telling me all these things. Like, if I'm not here, you got to do this. And he said, I, I'm kind of afraid you're going to die tomorrow. And he's and, and and I had to take a step back, Bobby, and go. Yeah, you're right. the The goal was not to freak you out. The goal was to prepare you. And I feel like as parents, a lot of times, we we wonder. No matter how old our children get, I have one again. He's 21. But you always wonder because I think it's something my dad did for me. Like, okay. Yeah, I know he's prepared, but how prepared is he? And, and I think, you know, parents always kind of have that natural instinct. And I don't mean to shift it from professional to personal, but when you were thinking about that, when, when you were talking about that, that was, was really resonating in my mind. What are some things that you do with, if you don't mind me asking, 
What are some things that you do with your children to promote the power of legacy and to ensure that 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 legacy will continue on? Because I don't know that that teenagers and young adults in this generation really understand the power of legacy like folks like you and I do that, that are, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 50 next year. So I, I don't know that our kids understand it like we do. Yeah, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of things to do. I mean, just to the, just to my right here on the wall, we have our team owner family values. So we listed all the values that we believe in, and we got the kids to choose the ones that they thought resonated with them, right? So that's something that we kind of came up with, uh, and that's about that's to me is about legacy. I often, uh, you know, get them to talk to their grandparents. You know, that they're, they're my mom's my mom's uh, sorry my wife's mother. They they talk to her every every week. My parents, my dad's turning 78 next week. And, you know, we get our kids to understand that these people are important to talk to. And then uh, the other big, big thing I talk about is um, with them. I've said, look, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I love that you guys work hard and you are passionate about things, um, you know, but I did say that it doesn't matter how smart you are, how fast you are, how strong you are. The most important thing you need to do for people is to make them feel good and make them feel listened to and empowered. And so, the thing I tell my kids every day before they go to school, and now they're like, Daddy, you didn't say it yet, <clears throat> which is, I love you, have fun, have a great day, learn lots, and make people feel good. And I tell them that every day because, and they want me to, and now they want to hear it every day because they're like, yeah, okay. And, and sometimes they'll say, you too, Daddy, you will go make people feel good. And I do that because I think that's an important piece about, you know, making people feel empowered and good and positive and nurtured and all that kind of supported. And so for me, that to me is a big part of helping them create their own legacy toward what they're trying to do. And just the other way is really just me and my wife living our values and being the people we are and mm -hmm. having that example will also yeah. hopefully, hopefully infuse <laughs> into our kids. Well, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, you, yeah. You're, you're exactly right. And Bobby, that, I love what you said there because I don't know that a lot of times, and, and, and I've said this, in thinking about the day before my dad passed away, I was like, I don't know that I told my dad that I loved him, but I, I, I think it was always understood between the two of us. It was always that, you know, and, and I had to finally come to terms with the reality of, I may not have told my dad that I loved him, but he knew, you know, I would hug my dad when I would see him, you know, I might've said, Hey, I love you when I, but I didn't see my dad the day before he died. So, you know, it was always understood. And, and I love that, that you build that, that in your kids, that when they become parents themselves, that's something they're going to pass on. And I love that your dad and your mother-in-law are still there. The power of grandparents is just an incredible thing. And let me, let me take the conversation. If you don't mind, let me pivot it back to business. How do businesses, because this was something as you were talking about the things you tell your kids every morning. I love that. You know, you love them, do good, you know, be, be good people. How do businesses translate those same feelings to their customers as a part of their legacy? Because you, you can't really, when your customers walk in the door, if you're a B2B or you know, you do virtual business, you can't really go to them and say, thank you. Have a nice day. I love you. You know, you, you, you know, it's kind of, kind of hard to do sometimes, but how do businesses communicate those same values and feelings as a part of moving their legacy forward? Does that quite, am I asking that question clearly <laughs> enough? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I think that a big part of it goes back to the personal brand journey, right? Is if you dive deep into your own values as an organization, uh, and try to come up with a why statement, uh, a vision statement, a mission statement to be really clear on who you are, how you serve people and how they feel. I mean, knowing your, your target audience, your customers, what are their pain points? What are their bliss points? What are the biggest questions on their mind? What keeps them up at night? How are you helping them? Then, you know, number one, that's going to be a great way to make sure you address it. The second way, of course, is to, is with storytelling, telling stories of what you're doing and how you're doing, telling stories of your clients, telling stories of your customers, telling stories of your, your partners, and displaying the values, the beliefs, the attitudes of what your organization and company is all about, that's also going to you know, translate to serving them well. And so 
And as you do, and that that's kind of the way to let them know what what you're doing, how you're helping them. Obviously, you can't say have you can't say we love you, but sometimes you can. I mean, you can certainly, you certainly say once in a while sure. with your stories, sharing appreciation. But I think that being clear on um, a brand, a why statement, uh, you know, the why statement is fantastic because it's a catalyst for everything you do. It helps you understand your target audience and it fires you up every single day. Like my why statement fires me up every single day, and I talk about it as I'm out there in the stories that I tell, which again, then leads to uh, people understanding, you know, that they're feeling, that they feel empowered, they feel listened to, they feel supported, and that's going to be good for business. I got to go, I got to ask you one more question around that before we take a break, because finding that why is so critical. And, And I've said this before, I said, look, the what doesn't matter if you don't know the why. And I was t- talking to my wife about this last week. I said, when you tell me that you want me to do something, tell me why you want me to do it. Because if I understand your why, then I can really dive into the the, the what becomes a lot simpler. The, the execution becomes a lot simpler in my mind. And, and my son did that a lot. He was like, well, I want to know why you want me to do this. I want to know why you you expect this and that. And, and as a parent, I had to wrap my mind around that. When it comes to the why of business in, in, in relationship to legacy, what's the biggest mistake that businesses tend to make around their legacy? Is it the fact that they don't clearly explain their why to their employees and their customers and their customers aren't sure why legacy is important to them? What, what's the biggest mistake that you've run into from companies about their legacy and, and how they're transmitting their legacy? I think the biggest, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think the biggest challenge when I see companies' why statements or when I work with companies with their why statements is that it's often very internal focused. And and so there's you have to make a distinction between like, you know, people are really, really important. So the people in an organization are the lifeblood and they're very, very important. Absolutely. But that's actually not the why statement. The why statement is supposed to be for the people out there that you and your employees are serving. And often that gets confused. Often that, you know, and often the mission and vision are, and why statement are confused between the, 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 the person that owns the business or the people that are part of the business versus the people that they're actually serving in the world. And they have to make that distinction. There's a bit of a confusion behind that. And sometimes, you know, having a mission or whatever vision that's based on your employees and who you are, that's great, it's, it's wonderful. But at the end of the day, if you want to build that business, you want to grow it, you have to think about the audience out there, the customers and the people that want to follow you and love you and, and be part of what you're trying to create. And so I think that it's important to make that distinction uh, between those two things. And I'm not saying you should you know, ignore your personal needs or ignore your, your staff's needs, right? But what you do is, you, you know, I, I create a why statement that is about everybody else. Now, that fuels me anyways, because I find purpose and I find joy with it. What about my team? Well, usually if you have a great why statement, a great vision statement, the team is aligned behind that too. The great leaders create great visions, which then brings people in who want to support that vision. And then in your mission and in your, in your, in your strategies, yeah, you should have things that support your staff and make sure they feel part of the, the process and feel, feel meaningful and align them to that vision. But again, that why has to be focused on what's external, uh, the people that are going to be um, you know, benefiting from what you're doing. I love that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, leaders as as you listen to Bobby talk about that, just remember that, remember that nothing starts without the vision and you're the one casting the vision. That is so good, Bobby. I love that. Let's step aside, take a break. Cause I want to leave room for you to tell your story. You mentioned a few minutes ago about your weight loss and dealing with diabetes and, and that hits home to me, as I mentioned, But again, I want to leave room and space for you to to tell that story. My guest, speaker, virtual trainer, coach, thought leadership expert. I I could go on for five minutes about this man's accomplishments, but I want you to hear from him. Bobby Umar is my guest today on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles 
that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, deeper, and more powerful connector, you've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up, Kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People Buy From People. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Bobby, let's now dive into your story. I'm really fascinated to hear your journey around weight loss. And, and, and you can go back further than that if you want to. I just want to give you the space and room just to tell your story. I'm probably going to jump in with a question or two off of something you said, but please take this opportunity to share your story with us. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, weight and the food has been an issue my whole life, but it really came to head when I left the corporate world. So basically what happened was my wife and I were trying to have kids. We we're having trouble. So we went to see a doctor in December and I was so busy and overwhelmed with being in the corporate space, working 80 hours a week that in January I had a, uh, my first ever anxiety attack. And then in March, the doctor said, when are you coming in? Come on in, please. And so I finally went in March because I've been working for four months without even going back to the doctor for my results. He said, let's do a test. I think there's something going on here. So I did a test and then I, and they said, come back a week later. And he said, you know what? You have diabetes. And I was like, what? And I didn't, and you know, and he said that basically because of your stressful job, you need to think about now you have to change your entire lifestyle in terms of what you eat and all that kind of stuff. And a normal blood sugar, according to the measurements in Canada is 6.2 in December it was 12 and in March it was 16. And so that's mm. why I was fatigued. I had headaches. I couldn't keep up with the work. Yeah, your A1C was so out of whack. Yeah, exactly. It was terrible. So I went back to the uh, my employer and I said, look, I need to uh, scale down my hours to something like normal. And I said, I said normal, 50 hours a week, which again, <laughs> is not normal. That's what I said. Yeah. Because I try and go from 80 to 50. And then I also said, but I want to take two weeks off because it's out of control. Three weeks later, they gave me a package that said, see you later. And they didn't want to deal with me. I was like, wow, okay, that's crazy. Um, and uh, the other thing that happened was uh, then two months later, my wife almost died of E. coli. She was in the ICU for a week, then in the hospital for another week, and then I took care of her for another two months at home. And then she and I both were like, what are we doing in our lives? What's important to us? What, what, how, how's our health going to, to matter? And so, you know, I, I started doing, taking, trying to take care of myself with the diabetes, mostly through, you know, through drugs, right? Prescription drugs. And, uh, and then, but it wasn't working. And uh, over a long period of time, things were getting worse and worse. And finally, I remember being very moody in 2013. And then I wrote this, uh, I wrote a post while my daughter was in music class. And it was called, what the F is wrong with me? And I, and I talked about binge eating. I talked about feeling guilt and shame. I talked about hiding meals uh, behind my, 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 my family. Like I would, I would eat a full meal at 4 p.m. Then have dinner with them again at 6.30 p.m. And I, I felt out of control. And I wasn't sure whether I wanted to post publicly or not, but I did. Bobby, and I was the diabetic when, when they said, take your metformin with food. I was, the, I was the overweight diabetic that would stop at the convenience store and get a little packet of mini donuts and a Diet Pepsi because it said, take it with food. And I'm like... The, these little mini donuts probably have 40 or 50 sugars in them. And here I am taking type two, I'm taking a strong strength of diabetic medication because, you know, I, I was, the, I, I understand completely what you mean because I, I was, I, I, as you were telling your story, I'm like, I can totally relate to that. I was that guy that would eat all day long. I mean, I was in the food business. So if my customers were, they would be like, Hey, you want a piece of pizza? At two o'clock, even though I just ate lunch at noon, yeah, why not? You know, hey, you want something? It's the end of the day. You want a snack at four? Sure. 
and then go home and eat dinner. I, I can really empathize with that. I was just, I was like that myself too. Yeah. And, you know, and so, you know, I, no, I agree. And, but, you know, when I launched that post, everything kind of came to head. Like I got hundreds of comments and thoughts and, uh, you know, and it, it started a whole discussion, which was in 2013 that launched my, my new phase of my life, which was what I call fit in my life, where I'm trying to make everything. I'm trying to get more fit in my life, but I'm also trying to make everything fit in my life, parenting, entrepreneurship, health, and things like that. And it's been up and down for the many, many years. And, you know, I had some good times. Like I, when I was doing keto and intermittent fasting, I had fantastic results over about nine months. My A1C was down incredibly low. My daughter said, wow, what's going on here? It's amazing. But then the pandemic hit and the last yeah. two years have been pretty hard. And then as we started getting out of the pandemic, this fall, I went to my, my family doctor and I said, let's just, let's work on stuff. Now I'm working on my, my bad shoulder and I'm trying to you know, have this app that I'm doing. So I'm doing this thing, but you know, I'm still not, I'm, I'm still having trouble, but the truth is it's a, it's a lot, it's a lifetime journey. And yeah. I talk about binge eating. I talk about food addiction. I talk about diabetes. I talk about body image and I talk about these things because I'm very good at vulnerable storytelling. I'm very comfortable with it. I think it's something that I've, I've, I've harnessed and learned. And so I know that this, these stories are heard by people that don't ever comment or don't ever actually message me, but they tell me sometimes later on, I've been watching this for two years, Bobby, I find it's really helpful. Please continue sharing. And so it's just been a big part of my journey, a big part of my story. I don't let it overwhelm me, but it's certainly something that's there. And, hey, I, Bobby, and I know I gotta, that helps people. I got to jump in here and ask you, if you could, I know what I would do because I've said, if I could go back to, oh gosh, 27, 28 year old me that was 330 pounds trying to get healthy and trying to do some stuff. And then the heaviest I got was 361 pounds before I had weight loss surgery. And I, I was already a diabetic. I went on blood pressure medicine. My, my moment was my doctor telling, I know the date, June 25th, 2008. And, you know, and, and getting to that point to where it was like, man, alive. He looked at me and he said, you're going to die if you don't do something. Like, I remember the date. It was like June 25th, June 26th. But I remember that date very well. I remember the conversation and he said, you're going to die if you don't do something about your weight. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, when somebody tells you you're going to die, like your situation was a little different, but you were, you, your A1C was telling you you're going to die if you don't get this under control. Your workload was telling you you're going to die if you don't get this under control. My doctor had to look at me. If you could go back let's say to maybe like 2010, 2011, if you could go back and you could have that conversation with Bobby now that you are more educated, you've done these things, you've been successful. What would you say to that Bobby? If you could go back and talk with him and spend an hour with that Bobby. Good question. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, number one, I would say that, you know, a better you is a better everything else. So the more you can work on your own self, whether it's physical or mindset, it's going to reflect on your parenting. It's going to reflect on your friendships. It's going to reflect on your business in a much, much better way. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is to understand uh, and embrace the fact that some of these things are there and you're going to have to learn to manage them as opposed to try to eliminate them. You know, I spent a lot of time trying to eliminate binge eating. Uh, but when I finally accepted the fact that they are always going to happen, and so now I need to manage the process and try to lessen the impact, that was a huge insight uh, that came much, much later through, ther through, through therapy and, and things like that. Because I was only trying to get rid of it, and then it would just blow up in my face. And I think that's an important piece, too. And then the third piece is really about <clears throat> community. Building a community of people that are going through similar things and have that support mechanism in place and working with a, with a coach and and getting the tools you need to get to find success is really the best way to go. And so that's one of the things I've done with my Fit My Life community, where I have a, a Facebook where we talk about these things, talk about these challenges openly. And I think that works uh, a lot better for people to try to get that next level. And so I would say, you know, those are the things you got to get, get into, like, you know, focus. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, forgive yourself, you know, forgive yourself 
and work on self-care whenever you have a bad day or a bad, bad evening, you know, like tomorrow's another day, wake up refreshed, uh, have a plan and start putting it back into action again. And that, that really related to the whole binging piece because when I embraced that binging what was going to happen, I started to focus on three things. One, try to navigate the severity of the binge. Is it quasi, moderate, or severe? Try to make them less severe. Number two, the frequency between the binges. Is it uh, every they have it every day or is it weeks or is it months apart? Try to have them less frequent. And then number three, um, the transition back to normal, right? Sometimes I transition back that very evening and I have a nice healthy salad and I'm back on track again. Sometimes it's a, a whole week. Sometimes it's months before I get back on track. So it's trying to, again, get back on track in a much more uh, quicker way. But that's kind of how I plan it. And I now have a plan or a contingency plan for dealing with these things when they do happen. You know, it, it was funny because I was looking at my um, my tracker app on, on on the watch that I wear every day. It's, an, it's a hybrid smartwatch. And I looked last week and... It, 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 you know, the, the amount of steps that I took equated to about 10 miles. And I'm like, man, alive. I, I didn't realize that this week it, it was down to about seven miles, but I thought to myself, you know what? That's still production. That's still movement. That's still my body being active and burning. And, and Bobby, I'll say this as well too is when I went through my weight loss journey, I had weight loss surgery. So I lost 165 pounds in 10 months. And people would say to me, they were like, oh, you look so great and things like that. I'm like, yeah, but you, when you have to have surgery, in a lot of respects, you failed because you couldn't get your weight under control yourself. So you had to physically do it and have it, have it go that way. People, oh, you look great, things like that. I'm like, yeah, but you don't want to do what I had to do to do this. You don't want to get to that point. When you think about the journey that you've taken, what is the most powerful lesson that you've learned? Is it self-care? Is it some of those things you mentioned? What's the most powerful lesson you've taken from your journey in the last eight or nine years? Hmm. That's a tough one. Um, I think that probably the most powerful journey, the most powerful lesson I've learned is you have to talk about it, right? So talking about it, communicating it, telling the story of what, and to sharing your feelings, talking about it. So whether you talk with your therapist, you talk with your community group, you talk with social media out there, you talk with your partner. Uh, all the different, because so much of what has happened is hidden inside me and I don't want to talk about it. And, and currently there are things right now that I'm not talking about, that I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell my wife, and I'm not going to tell the world. And so <clears throat> I think the more that you talk about these things, whether you're telling your story to the world, whether you're talking to your friends, your colleagues, your therapist, whatever it might be, that is the most important thing because the people who shut down and don't talk about it, they are deluding themselves and they're never going to get to where they need to go because they, are, they carry so much shame and guilt and burden because they don't want to talk about it. I love that. And, and you're right, you know, because people look at, and, 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 and I wasn't going to go here, but I want to go here for just a quick second, Bobby. A lot of times, bigger people, because I was 350, 360 pounds. I would buy bigger clothing. I would try to hide it. People would say, oh, you don't look that big. When I when I would say, yeah, I weigh 350 pounds. Oh, right. you don't look that big. Yeah. Well, I had the advantage of being six foot three. You know, that's my advantage is being tall. And still there are things, even when I got thin, thinner and I'm not as thin as I want to be. I'm thinner than I was, but I'm not as thin as I wanted to be. I still had some of those mechanisms inside of me that said, yeah, but I'm still a big boy. You know, I still look big and things like mm -hmm. that. I, I want you for a minute, if you would, as we wrap up this conversation and I want to be respectful of your time and the audience's time because we could talk for hours about this and, and maybe we need to do a, a second podcast to talk more specifically 
to deal with encouraging those trying to lose weight, things like that. Because you and I have both walked that journey, but share with folks your biggest piece of intentional encouragement that keeps you going and keeps you motivated on a day-to-day basis. Well, I mean, the biggest thing that motivates me every day is actually my why statement, right? So my why statement is there are lost, stuck, or unfulfilled leaders everywhere. What that means is everywhere I go, I meet people who feel lost in their jobs, stuck in their businesses, or unfulfilled with their their journey in, on this earth, uh, whether it's weight, whether it's relationships, whether it's business, whether it's career. But, you know, I know how these people feel because I've been there. I've been there from a career standpoint. I've been there from a business standpoint. I've been there from a relationship standpoint. I've been there from a parenting standpoint. And so for me, it, you know, it's a very powerful way to keep me motivated and keep me going. It encourages me every day. I wake up every day with that why statement in my head and it gives me intention. It gives me purpose. It gives me so much stuff. Whether I see the kids and send them to school, whether I'm trying to put together a healthy lunch, whether I'm trying to work with a client, you know, I have a, I have a meeting coming up in a couple of hours where I'm going to work with this group and I'm, I'm helping them because they're feeling lost, stuck, and fulfilled. And so for me, that really fires me up. If you have a really clear why statement, that can go such a long way to really creating some incredible impact in the world uh, with intention. And it, fire, it fires me up, it keeps me focused, it keeps me on, on track. So to me, that that's a big piece of, uh, I would say, what drives me. I love this. I'm so glad we had this conversation. And, and, and folks, I reached out to Bobby. I, I, I subscribed to his newsletter and I said, man, this was so impactful. I got to have you on the podcast. I'm so glad we, we carved out the time. I am grateful that you carved out the time today to, to be on the podcast. Bobby, share with folks how they can get connected with you, how they can get more of your resources, things like that. Sure, thanks. Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm everywhere on social media under the handle Ray on Bobby. So Clubhouse, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that type of stuff. I have a LinkedIn company page you can follow as well for most of my coaching and online programs, things like that. And of course, I have two websites, uh, rayallen.com and dypb.ca. So you can find me in all the different places, as well as uh, the Thought Leisure Brain Club on Clubhouse. So those are all different places you can find me. I love it. And, and again, refer back to this conversation because he's been, Bobby, you have, have graced us with your time and your presence. And, and I'm so grateful this morning. And, and again, this is, this is going to be a podcast you're going to want to play again and again because Bobby has shared a lot of wisdom with us this morning. Bobby Umar, my guest, thank you for joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, Brian. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.